maddening, isn't it? The voice in your head, relentless, forever unsatisfied. No matter how hard you try to please, it devours you until there's nothing left but a hollow shell. And the more you ask for help, the more you begin to sound like the boy who cried wolf. I can't help you. I am trying to help you. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be breaking down the first episode of Moon Knight, Disney Plus's new MCU series starring Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and other stars yet to be revealed. Also in this episode, I will be having a conversation that I've pre-recorded with my friend Nick as a set, as a lead-up to this recap show, where we break down all of the recent MCU shows and movies and catch up on his opinions of them. I have covered the Marvel, the MCU. I've pretty much done my catch-up on the MCU content in previous episodes. Look in this feed for episodes on the Spider-Man film, No Way Home, that came out around Christmas time as well as generally a Marvel roundup of the properties What If and Shang-Chi, which I really liked very much, and Hawkeye as well. So check the feed for those. You get my opinions of those films. I also covered uh, within the DCU, DCEU, I should say, the most recent Batman film is also a recent episode that I've posted, a film I had mixed feelings about, but I did think it looked incredible. And I have some pretty mixed opinions on this show as well, Moon Knight. Nick will be back next week to participate in the recap Get his opinions on this episode one, as well as the subsequent episode as well. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all those episodes become available. Also, of course, this weekend, we get the next episode of Severance. And many of you on this feed have been catching up on Severance and listening to our podcast. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you do recommend this to any of your friends and family who might also appreciate that. Very exciting. We're coming to the end on Severance. If you haven't caught up on that yet, it's on Apple+. Plus really interesting show. It's going to be all over your newsfeed, I'm sure, when the show wraps up in a couple of weeks. It's building a lot of momentum online, and it's still time for you to catch up on that. And just a reminder to everybody, Apple Plus is available for free. Target is giving away Apple Plus, TV Plus, for free until for four months, I believe. So just do a search on Apple Plus Target promo, something like that, and you will find that coupon, and you can sign up right on your phone, and all your Apple devices will have Apple TV on it for free until, uh, whatever, four months from today. So do take advantage of that, especially with Severance coming to a wrap-up. Excellent show so far. Oh, and of course, give us your feedback on Severance, on Moon Knight, on other things you'd like to see in the future. Nick, you'll see in our conversation, is a big fan of Star Wars, even more so than the MCU. And we will have many, many, we already had one that was snipped out of this <laughs> this uh, conversation, but we'll turn up in a future episode. And this will all lead up to the new Obi-Wan show, which is coming in May just as Moon Knight is wrapping up. Also in May, expect to see a review for the new Doctor Strange movie, which I'm looking forward to very much, and may possibly tie into this Moon Knight universe as well. One more thing is that I was intending to put in a breakdown, very high level, I didn't want to put anything that I considered to be potentially a spoiler, just the history of Moon Knight as a character in the MCU, it's his origin story, his powers, etc. But after having seen episode one, and I've only seen episode one, I've decided to hold that off until much later. And the reason is, one of the things I do appreciate in this episode is the way they are introducing us to this character in this very prismatic fugue state, expressing the internal confusion of the character, let's say. So the story is being revealed to us very slowly. So to 
actually give you just some high-level background on the character and its origin within the comics seems like a spoiler because I assume most people watching this show are new to Moon Knight. I mean, even if you are in a Marvel fan, you probably have not read any of the Moon Knight comics. So I assume you have not. Casual viewers obviously have not. So I will hold off on that because I rather see how the filmmakers want to tell the story to me. And they obviously do not want me to know the back story to this character yet. So I will hold off on that commentary until the show gets circles around to his origin story. I'm sorry. One more caveat. When Nick and I get into our conversation of the MCU, we mildly, very mildly spoil all those properties that we're going to discuss, and we discuss a whole bunch of them, but really minor spoilers. However, we fully spoil completely the most recent Spider-Man film, which I have to assume if you're a Marvel fan, you have definitely seen that. I mean, the movie's made like $2, million, $2 billion. It is the third largest movie of all times all over the world. So I assume if you plan to see that movie, you probably have seen it. But just fair warning that once we get into our discussion, we do, within the first few minutes, start spoiling uh, aggressively <laughs> the Spider-Man movie, which is the one that he primarily wants to talk about. And we do mildly spoil those other properties, uh, but not not as thoroughly as we do the Spider-Man film. So if you have not seen the Spider-Man, then you may want to skip the conversation we have after the Moonlight recap. Uh, so I have saved it for the end, just in case you are avoiding spoilers for that film. So you may want to drop off when we get into that conversation. Warnings out of the way, everything else out of the way. Let's get into Moon Knight, episode one, The Goldfish Problem. In the time of my confession, in the hour of my deepest need, when the pool of tears beneath my feet flood every newborn seed, there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere. This episode is directed by Mohamed Diab, who is an Egyptian director who's made some movies, some well-regarded films, actually some award-winning films, and has also produced some Egyptian television shows. This is definitely his most high-profile production, obviously, his first English language, I believe. He's also one of the executive producers on the project, so his fingerprints are on this beyond this specific episode, as is Oscar Isaac, by the way, and written by Jeremy Slater, also the showrunner. And he has quite a mixed bag of credits himself. He did write that Fantastic Four movie, that terrible recent one, although that probably wasn't his doing, most of those bad decisions. But much more successfully, he has the very successful Umbrella Academy on Netflix, that adaptation, which he also was a showrunner there, and also wrote and produced the Exorcist TV series from a few years back, which I really couldn't get into, but is very well regarded, has gotten very good reviews and good fan reaction. Now I'm going to spend a minute or two on this first scene because I think it's very important when you watch a film, or in this case a TV show, what is the first scene? What are the filmmakers telling us? And this is a very interesting first scene. We do not get the usual Marvel fanfare, by the way. Instead, we open with a Bob Dylan song, Every Grain of Sand. So this is actually very interesting. For those of you who are, I'm a big music fan, so bear with me for a moment. <laughs> Bob Dylan has had many incarnations in his career. You could argue he's actually performed multiple personas over his career, and that is maybe thematically important to this show. But this song specifically, Every Grain of Sand, this was Dylan in early 80s, 1981 perhaps, where he was going through his born-again Christian phase. And specifically in this song, 
It's about faith. And there's a few things that are going to tie into this show, I believe. Once again, I've only seen the first episode. But first of all, every grain of sand. We're going to see a lot of sand in this show. (laughs) So that's kind of hitting it right on the nose. But beyond that, some of the lyrics here. In the time of my confession, in the hour of my deepest need, when the pool of tears beneath my feet flood every newborn seed, there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere, toiling in the danger and in the morals of despair. So a dying voice within me. We're going to see that our protagonist is haunted by some internal voice. We don't know who that is yet, but we will discover it in the upcoming episodes. And just one more stanza here that I want to circle back to the final one. I hear the ancient footsteps like the motion of the sea. Sometimes I turn, there's someone there. At times, it's only me. I'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan, like every sparrow falling, like every grain of sand. So a few things there. We have some apocalyptic vision. We have a supernatural being that's sometimes there, sometimes not. And uh, in that case, this would be Christ or God. Uh, This is a religious song. And of course, that line where he says, sometimes I turn and I see someone, sometimes I do not. And we see that right here because we discover, and this is jumping to the end now, that he has some kind of multiple personalities that he's dealing with. So interesting to use this song, which is not about multiple personality disorder, by the way, it's about faith, but to tie it into this theme of our protagonist here in the episode, along with the religious connotations. Because what we also see while we're hearing this song is a character who will be revealed later, drinking from a glass, breaking it, and then taking the broken pieces and putting it into his shoes so he can walk upon it. This is the type of self-flatulation that is almost medieval. But normally you do this kind of physical torment when you are trying to achieve some kind of separation between the mind or the spirit and the body by forcing yourself to ignore the pain. And secondly, it is about atonement. It's about making peace for sins of the past. So this character, played by Ethan Hawke, which we're just barely introduced to in this episode, has some dark history he's trying to make up for. So very interesting that this is the opening moments of the show. It does not give us an origin story. It does not introduce us to our protagonist. It introduces us to this other character. In the next scene, we do meet our protagonist, or we believe it's our protagonist because (laughs) we have multiple protagonists here, all embodied in one person. It's Oscar Isaac with, all right, a little editorial here, (laughs) a kind of annoying English accent, my opinion, although I do love Oscar Isaac, so I do have faith that he will pull this off. And right away, we know that we probably shouldn't trust this character and his perception of the world. He wakes up. We see that he has his leg chained to a post in his strange, squalid apartment. Spacious, but squalid. (laughs) He lives on a mattress on the floor and uh, just has books and other knickknacks just packed into this uh, pretty, pretty elaborately decorated setting. Not only is he chained to this post, but on top of that, he has sand around his mattress. So he must be a sleepwalker, or he believes himself to be. And he's got tape on the door also to check that he has not been roaming around in the night. So right away, we know there is some issue here. We also see that he almost misses his bus. He's almost late for work. And he falls asleep on somebody while he's on the, uh, which I can speak to on sometimes when the trains are down in New York City. And you're really packed into those train lines in the old days before COVID where now the train lines are empty. But if it's hot and you've been standing for a long time, it's the end of a long day. I have regularly seen people fall asleep on top of each other. (laughs) And that's pretty much what he does on this bus, falling asleep against somebody while he's going on this bus ride to work. Where we find out that he works as a, you know, in a gift shop, not a very prestigious job. 
And I assume this is supposed to be in London, one of the London museums. This is actually in Budapest that they shot this. But considering the accents and the train, uh, I'm sorry, the bus, I assume we're supposed to believe this is London. I'm not sure if this has been explicitly told to us, but I mean, the accents do seem to give that away. Oh, before I forget, I should bring up the goldfish. I'm not sure why, if this is important at all, but since it is the title of the episode, I guess we will have to discuss it. He has a goldfish with one smaller fin, and later uh, it has two full fins. So at some point during his sleepwalking, and we'll find out more about that when he loses time, there's a new, so I'm not sure what happened to the original fish, but now we have a fish with two full fins. So I'm not sure how that's going to tie in, but hey, I'm just calling it out because it's in the title of the episode. But of course, the goldfish problem is also in reference to, not really true, but the mythology or the story that we often hear that goldfish have very short attention spans. So they kind of are oblivious to perhaps the good and the bad in their past. And this is kind of what we're seeing potentially with our protagonist because he keeps losing time and he oftentimes is dropped into circumstances that he does not understand how he got into them. Which, by the way, reminds me of the film Memento. If anybody somehow has not seen that, Christopher Nolan, who now makes these massive blockbuster movies, started early in his career. It's actually his second film uh, with one of the absolute greatest films of that decade, a film called Memento, where Guy Pierce is losing time because he has a similar condition where he can only remember short spurts of time and cannot remember his own history. And therefore, we, as the film watchers, get to experience this because we, because the film is constructed in being told in reverse order. So really fascinating construction of a film forcing us to also have no historical context, just like the character. So really great stuff if you haven't seen that. And I do think that there is a reference point here. So enough about the goldfish. <laughs> he does eventually arrive at work where we find out that he has his menial job. Although he knows a lot about Egyptian history, he's going around practically doing tour guide duty for the kids uh, as he's keeping one girl from basically putting garbage into one of the displays. So probably this is the reason he's ended up in this job is so that he's closer to these Egyptian artifacts. And a lot of this series is going to obviously circle around these Egyptian mythology, these gods. So yet another strand, by the way, to Marvel, as if we didn't have Eternals and space aliens and ancient magic, now Egyptian gods as well. And of course, we already have Nordic gods in this universe of characters. So they just keep piling on new things. Regardless, here we are. We see he's a pretty lonely guy. He's bullied a little bit by his employer at work. Then again, he's probably not a great employee <laughs> to start with. He seems to only correspond with a performer who's one of those two human statues. <laughs> so apparently this is his, uh, he eats his dinner, a sandwich, on this bench with this performer. And this is his pattern. That night he falls asleep. And this is the first time he wakes up in another lifetime, basically. He's being shot at. He's on a, a beautiful location, a countryside. I believe this is in, this is another Scandinavian country. I don't remember where, but the driving location of that hill is actually pretty famous. I, be, I believe it's Slovenia from a quick Google search here. So he escapes. He's being shot at. He waves politely at the gunman who, uh, and uh, runs into town where he runs into. We see for the first time Ethan Hawke, who is, has, is surrounded by followers of the god Amit. So this character, Arthur Harrow, Harrow worships Amit and is a cult leader as well. You see these folks surrounding him. Obviously, they drop to their knees at the name of the god, so which gives away um, Oscar Isaac's character, who I haven't named yet, by the way, interestingly, for a reason. 
right away because he doesn't fall to his knees at the reference. So it's very clever how he, he, he pulls this off and how he reveals him. And this starts a pretty entertaining sequence. It starts there with that clever way of revealing him in the crowd to then that he's found this scarab in his pocket, a golden scarab that he apparently has stolen from that first location where he awoke. And even as he tries to hand it to Harrow, there's a voice inside of him that's complaining about this. Don't love this voice, by the way. It's F. Murray Abraham, nonetheless, Oscar winner. But don't love this yet. Once again, remains to be seen if this all pays off. But in a pretty entertaining sequence, he's not able to give it to him, even against his own will. He's trying to peel his fingers back. And then when he's surrounded, it looks like he's finally going to lose the scarab. He blacks out again. He loses time, wakes up again, covered in blood. Everybody's knocked out around him. His The scarab is back in his hand, now caked in blood. It's like he's torn it out of somebody's body, basically. So this whole sequence is pretty funny. And then he jumps into a cupcake truck. So this comedic elements of the sequence continue. He's escaping. He loses again, loses time. And you have this slow sequence down a curvy road with many cars in hot pursuit. And this sequence is very funny. He blacks out. He comes back. He's driving in reverse. The windows have all been shot out. There's people who've been, uh, you know, beaten up in the back of the of the cupcake truck. And the best payoff, of course, is at the very end. He's gotten rid of all the other cars except for one. And they turn up on him and put their guns on him. But of course, they've been going down that hill. And the truck that overturned at the top with the logs on the back, those logs have been rolling down the hill the whole entire time and squish the bad guys. Bad bad guys question mark? <laughs> Who knows who's bad in this scenario, to be honest with you. But pretty bloody. I don't remember seeing a Marvel film or show with this blood in it at this level. There's usually bloodless violence in most of the Marvel films. So this is probably not geared for family, and I would agree with that. So before we move on, a little context around this god of Amit. In the original mythology, I don't believe this god was worshipped it was, I mean, Oscar Isaac's character calls it out in the film, in this show itself, that it was the original boogeyman. Supposedly, this god is the eater of death. And I have to do a little more research on Amit here to say something cogent about it. But it is interesting that somebody who doesn't traditionally have religion associated to it is who Jack Harrow is worshipping here or creating this cult around. And we do see in that town square something interesting where whether you've done good or bad, this god can see the totality of your life. I don't know if this, once again, I don't believe this ties into the original mythology, but I need to research it a little bit more. Who would like to go next? Please, Hero. I must know. Call me Arthur. Come. Will you accept your scales regardless of the outcome? Yes. I'm sorry. I've been good my entire life. I believe you. But the scales see everything. Perhaps it's something that lies ahead. And it's not us, not for us to judge. So this is an interesting mythology. Interesting that he can basically snuff somebody out depending on the, you know, the, the their good, bad, the scales of their lives. And now finally, I'll stop referring to the character as Oscar Isaac. What we've basically seen so far is this meek Stephen Grant character. We've only been in the presence of Stephen Grant. Although from this point on, multiple characters will now occasionally reference him as Mark. And if we haven't figured out already, we see that he has some kind of split personality or somebody is hijacking his body, whether it's a personality or another being. In his blackout moments, there is somebody else who's living a whole other life <laughs> in his body. And that is not the voice he's hearing, by the way. So if that's not clear enough, 
He wakes up back in his apartment. He believes, oh, that was all a dream, luckily for me. He notices some strange things. He notices that the fish now has two full fins. <laughs> we don't know what happened to the original fish with the missing fin, by the way. But he also had a date planned for that night. And when he calls this love interest of his, she's very angry. She goes, never call me again. I was there two days ago. And this is when he realizes that he's lost two days of time. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention is that repeatedly here, we see him calling his mother and leaving voicemails, which makes me wonder, who is he leaving voicemails to? Is that a mother who has passed away, perhaps? Or is this some way where he's communicating with somebody else in this, you know, not realizing that he's basically giving them encoded catch-ups on where he's at? Back in the apartment, he notices that the fish tank's been moved. And that leads him to find a secret compartment in the wall where there's a phone. And there's a phone with many, many mixed call, missed calls from Layla. When he does call back, she's frantic. She's saying, I thought, I thought you were dead. I haven't been able to touch with, uh, get in touch with you. I've talk, called you for months. And she also says, what's up with that accent? I have the same question. What is up with that accent, Oscar? <laughs> he starts to freak out. He feels something in the apartment. His reflection seems to behave on its own. And when he leaves... He can't make it to the ground floor for some reason. He ended up back on the, on the top floor. He runs into a neighbor who thinks he's a little bit strange. And we see some kind of true horror imagery here. We see this desiccated bird, giant bird-like god, who I believe is Khonshu, I believe. And we'll probably find out much more about this. Well, we definitely will find out much more about this god in future episodes. And he ends up back at work. And he's starting to look pretty frazzled. I don't know if this is makeup or if this is, um, if Oscar Isaac is not sleeping for days on end to get this haggard look. <laughs> he's starting to look pretty frazzled at this point. Now, Jack Harrow shows up here at the museum and he's like, oh, I thought you were pretending. I guess you do work here. And, you know, he basically has some kind of ambiguous conversation with him. And interestingly, he grabs Stephen Grant, Oscar Isaac's character's hands. I saw you kill that woman in the Alps. I only told her what millions more will soon learn. Do you want to know the truth? There's chaos in you. Let him go. And the scales go crazy. So this is interesting that the scales can't decide if he's a positive or a negative. And that might be illustrating the ambiguity of this potential character or the, the potential ambiguity of this character to come. That night, he's still there at the museum when he hears some kind of hellhound in the museum. Starts chasing him. He locks himself in the bathroom. And there's a very cool sequence here. Very well done. Very clever use of special effects where we now see Mark Spector, his other persona, speaking directly to Stephen and through the mirror. And this is very cool, the way they have this, where the reflections are in sync with each other, but he's speaking, and then they're out of sync completely. And then a very cool thing, because you know you have this mirrors upon mirrors, that infinite uh, reflection effect, where all of a sudden, all the other reflections have vanished. It's just Mark on the other side speaking to Stephen, but basically says, you need to give me control of your body and you'll survive. And we start to see transformation occur. And this is the first time we see Moon Knight and we see the aftermath of him basically having killed or at least incapacitated this demonic dog. And that's the end of the episode. You're not gonna die. 
Let me save us. All right, so how did I feel about this? Here's my mini review. I have concerns. <laughs> I have concerns. My, uh, I didn't love Oscar Isaac's accent. I didn't love the way they use this voice in his head. It's a little, it's very campy, I should say. F. Murray Abraham, you get a certain very theatrical performance from him in general, which I like him as a performer, by the way, but you know what you're getting when you get him. So I'm not 100% bought in on that yet, especially how they sprinkle it in here. And I would say, just in general, I have concerns with the tone of this episode. It's going for something a little jokey. It has moments that are truly horror-like, which I do enjoy, horror in general. And I don't know if they, can, they will be able to pull this off. And I'm a little curious as to why they went in this direction. If I was to redesigned this and no one has asked me to <laughs> so just my opinion here everybody but if i was going to redesign this i would have had almost a lighter touch on the moments when we are in steven's perspective but then i would have that moment when they he arrives first time when he awakens in that village maybe that voice would be creepier maybe he would be unsure is did he hear that what is this creepy voice in his head? Who's trying to talk to him? Is he losing his mind? And let the horror, a truly horrific, dark imagery, force itself into this almost like a rom-com type script. And I don't know why they didn't go in that direction for the fact that this is definitely not for kids. This is definitely not for kids. I mean, just because of the violence, I do not think that young kids are going to watch this show or parents probably won't allow them to watch this show. So I don't know why kind of going this middle path of not going a little bit more aggressively dark in the darker elements. So yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little confused by the, um, the, the choice of tone, but I am curious to see how this is going to unfold. I would say on the positive side, I do like Ethan Hawke. I'm not 100% on with Oscar Isaac's performance here as Steven, but I do like those moments at the end when we see Mark, his darker half, communicating with him. I can't wait to see that version of this character. And I guess, you know, once again, this is probably intentional. So maybe what I'd say is, I know Disney goes week to week, only one episode at a time, as opposed to like Hulu and most other streaming outlets, which will release more than one episode at a time. And I really feel this, of all projects, almost needed to have a second episode for me to really know if I was 100% on board with the, the tone of the show. All that being said, I am very curious about it. I do like this fragmented storytelling. I do like this idea of somebody trying to being lost without their past. Once again, it referenced back to that movie Memento. So I do like this type of storytelling. Uh, like I said, maybe the only caveat I have here so far is I don't know if the tone is right for me. But I will continue to watch it and recap it here. And I can't wait to hear what Nick thinks. Nick is far less critical than he is of mine. He, he has way more confidence in letting them tell the story and then judging it at the end. So I can't wait to hear what he says. Um, he also does not, however, on the other hand, uh, love all this kind of highfalutin uh, weirdness that has been injected into the MCU more and more so over time. So I wonder if this is a bridge too far for him. And I will be getting his feedback soon. And uh, it will be part of next week's episode. So tune in next week 
to get that. And as I mentioned before, oh, one last thing I want to mention is I thought that the credit sequence, which doesn't come up until the very, very end, is really cool. And I like the, don't like the main theme that much, to be honest with you, but I do like the closing. The end credits um, theme is very good, much more brooding and maybe just more, <laughs> maybe a little bit of a goth <laughs> at at heart. And I want to hear a little more of those dark chords. So that's what I thought. Um, let me know your feedback. Need some introduction at gmail.com. I'd love to hear uh, feedback. And of course, stay tuned. In just a couple of days, we will have the recap for the next episode of Severance, which is going to go out with a bang, at least this season, already renewed for season two. And uh, But we will see how things go. A great episode last week. And I'm very curious to see what happens this week. So with that out of the way, here's the conversation I mentioned with Nick, where we run down, catch up on all those Marvel properties, all that Marvel content that's been it's been streaming literally at us in the past half year or so. My agenda for today <laughs> in preparation for Moon Knight. I have a whole bunch of questions for you. Most of them have to do with what you think of the direction of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe since the, you know, this this ne- next, what do they call this, the next cycle of movies, I guess. And not just movies, I guess it's all these TV shows also. And it's so funny. I was writing down, I wanted to get your opinion uh, on these things. And I've recapped most of these, by the way, if anybody's listening to this for the first time, I've reviewed the Spider-Man movie. I actually recently reviewed the Batman movie, which I'm also going to ask you about if you happen to have seen it, uh, which is not Marvel, by the way. I know that it's not Marvel. Just don't <laughs> at me because of that. <laughs> but it's just comic book related. So I'm curious to see if you'd seen that. But it's funny. I was just making a list of things I, I wanted to get your opinion on. And it's crazy. It's like Black Widow, which I think you hadn't seen yet the last time we spoke. Yeah. The What If series, uh, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Hawkeye, the Spider-Man movie, and now, you know, of course, we're going to be covering Moon Knight. But then before the end of the year, we have Doctor Strange 2 coming just a month from now. You have the new Thor movie, the Black Panther film, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, which they just dropped the pre- trailer for this week, Secret Invasion, and the Guardians holiday special. <laughs> this is all coming before the end of the year. So this is it's unbelievable, the amount of content that's coming out. It's, it's, it's bananas. It's funny because after Endgame, everybody was dying for something, and, and it, it feels like it took so long to finally get. Uh, it wasn't Loki; it was the WandaVision was the first thing that came yeah. out after, and it seemed like that that uh, period of time that passed between Endgame and WandaVision was so long, and everybody was just clamoring for for uh, you know new material. But in terms of the direction, you know, I I've en- I've generally enjoyed uh, what they've what they what Marvel's put out since uh, since Endgame. You know, it's obviously taken somewhat of a weird twist with the multiverse. Uh, I'm not entirely sold on it yet. I want to see where this is going. You know, obviously it opens it opens it up for you know, tremendous possibilities associated with all of these characters and the potential to bring certain characters back that that have died and things like that. There was so much continuity in that first phase, I guess the whole uh, Infinity Stone saga. Mm-hmm. Everything sort of was just like in a neat package. Yep. that you've gotten away from it now and it's it's sort of 
spiraling out of control with the whole multiverse. <laughs> and I'm not really sure, you know, what direction that they're heading in, uh, you know, presumably they've got, you know, they've, they've got a roadmap for it. So, you know, I guess let's see where they end up. Certain aspects of it I've enjoyed, uh, but other aspects you're kind of wishing you would see, you know, some Captain America and Iron Man again, yep. as opposed to Moon Knight and some of these other, some of these other sort of fringe characters that I, I'm not even familiar with because of, you know, my lack of uh, knowledge of the comic book world. My general interest in Moon Knight is basically not because of anything related to the premise of the character or the character themselves, a character I know nothing about, by the way. Uh, I do know now because I've done some research, but pre previously knew nothing about this character. And, uh, and it's really the talent behind the, the camera and in front of the camera that I'm more interested in, that the project in general. And I'm also kind of excited. You know, this is something that's a frustration for me on the Star Wars side of things, which everything has to echo back to that first movie. And what I kind of like about Marvel is it's such a giant sandbox. So I actually like the fact that you get to see, for example, if Moon Knight is good, I don't know if it's going to be good, but if it is good, that they get to really start from scratch here, right? We don't have to be beholden to all this legacy that everybody's got behind um, these characters. So that's something that I find appealing potentially, but I agree with you. Endgame was so great the way they kind of culminated everything. They really made every one of those, even the bad movies pay off. They've been so all over the place <laughs> with this new set of projects that, uh, but in their defense, you look back on how, what a great job they did with the Marvel products, you know, culminating in Endgame. There were some bad movies back in their catalog too, right? So it's like, it's never going to be a hundred percent, but but I am a little wary and maybe just so much content. It's just too much content, right? Yeah, that's that's I have the same feeling. I mean, but again, you don't know where it's going to ultimately end up. So we might be looking back on it and saying, OK, this all made sense at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, Spider-Man was incredible. I mean, that was that was one of the best Marvel movies I've seen um, way up there for me. But, you know, there were still certain aspects of it that you're kind of scratching your head at the end that, yep. like, you know, everybody forgets Peter at the end that, yep. you know, that <laughs> sort of doesn't make too much sense because it's right. like, OK, you know, why didn't Happy ask who he was when, you know, when he was standing at May's uh, grave, you know, things yep. like that. Yep. It's like, OK, this, this sort of doesn't make too much sense. And it's somewhat contradicted uh, the, the rules that they set in place in Endgame in terms yep. of being able to change the past or, you know, somehow alter history in such a way. So that was a little bit of a head scratcher at the end of, uh, at the end of Spider-Man, not, not, notwithstanding though, it was still an incredible movie. I mean, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Loki was one of the best things that Marvel's put out as well. I mean, that yep. series was incredible. You know, we had, we had the podcast on that um, yep. last year. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's been great content, but to your point, it, it has been sort of all over the place. You know, Eternals was pretty good. I'll watch it again, but it's not like one of the best movies I've ever seen. You know, if you think about it though, it, it kind of lends some support to Thanos's whole uh, premise of killing half the, half the population on all the worlds, because that would have potentially saved the earth, I guess, from the giant creature coming at it. I forget what the name <laughs> of the creature was, but you know what I'm saying? So like there was, you know, it's, you could tie it back and be like, all right, you know, that kind of makes Thanos's whole premise make some sense. But uh, that movie was, uh, it was okay. Oof, I, I'm, I'm a little harsher on these properties I think, <laughs> than, than you are, but let, let me take them in order because I definitely want to talk to you about Eternals. And I have my, and I have a lot to say about Spider-Man also in that 
I actually thought that the high points of Spider-Man were incredible, like incredible. They nailed it with some of those, you know, bringing the Spider-Man all together again. But I have like all those, <laughs> I have these problems with, uh, like, like you said, when it kind of violates its own rules, that whole ending sequence where like they've forgotten Peter somehow. And I'm like, how is that possible? And if they forgot Peter, but they didn't forget Spider-Man, then aren't like the Avengers just going to show up and be like, hey, what happened to Spider-Man, right? Because people still theoretically know who Spider-Man is. They just don't know that it's Peter, right? So none of it makes any sense to me. And I guess they can correct it to some extent. People will start to remember parts about Peter even though they don't know that he is Spider-Man in the next movie. Like, so maybe they can correct this in the next movie, but I had so many questions at the end of that. I was really perplexed, but that being said, I think that they did an incredible job of um, tying the, the legacy of those, you know, the, those three movies. Oh, and another huge pet peeve I have with that, by the way, I, I've digressed here. I, I was trying not to digress, but I did. I also have a pet peeve where somebody, you know, the hero of the film, like creates the problem that they're trying to solve. <laughs> and Dr. Strange, his cavalier, way of casting that spell is like so unforgivable <laughs> and it's funny because i don't usually watch trailers of movies i'm definitely going to watch like i somehow avoided the batman trailer which thank god because it gives away the entire movie but uh i did watch the doctor strange trailer and i like that he's basically getting arrested for <laughs> for what he did because i'm like yeah <laughs> he needs to go some kind of like avengers jail for a little while <laughs> for what he did in that in that movie <laughs> Yep. Yep. I mean, they could have, they could have also set it up. I mean, because you had Loki, right. You didn't really need to have, you didn't even really need to have a uh, strange cast that spell. You could have sure. just had, you know, in some capacity, you could have the other Spider-Man and the other villains from the other movies showing up because of what happened in Loki theoretically, because to, you know, the multiverse was created and you could have just have some sort of way in which these other individuals from the other multiverses coming into this present universe and honestly that could be possible even though i don't like whatever fix they came up with this could be pandemic related because the doctor strange movie was supposed to come out before the spider-man movie before the shuffling of the movies because of the pandemic and then sony basically said you know they just knew that if we get the spider-man movie out at this point it's going to make a killing so they reshot some scenes to make the film work um, you know some connective tissue to the doctor strange movie that was obviously not going to make sense. So they reshot that. And then this meant that Dr. Strange had to have a massive reshoot. They reshot like 40% of Dr. Strange to A, accommodate what happened in, Do in uh, the Spider-Man movie. And then of course, now that the Spider-Man movie has occurred, you, you know, they had to change some basic plot points. So it was a massive reshoot of Dr. Strange. This could be pandemic related that they kind of got a little sloppy with the scripting. But like you said, I'm sure there were other ways. Like it could have been a bad guy that created some kind of fissure in time. And, uh, you know, open these doors. It could have been one of Spider-Man's um, uh, enemies, you know, who uh, in another timeline, you could imagine like whatever, it could have been like Osborne or something in, an, in a different timeline that opened, you know, somehow, you know, some energy creates this fissure. And then they, then those characters enter into the, the current timeline, right? So there were other ways you could address this rather than just being like Dr. Strange being, you know, cocky, overly cocky once again. <laughs> <laughs> it like you know almost destroys all of uh, all the timelines oh and the eternals uh, <laughs> i'm gonna be very brief about that i thought the eternals first of all it's incredible they get Clou chloe zhao who won best director last year you know she's only made these very very low budget movies and all her cast they're almost like documentaries so they're almost like improvised like she did nomad nomad land which uh Frances McDormand won best actress for and she was almost like the only actress in the movie the rest of it was all improvised so she likes working out improvisation she likes to shoot in real locations. And the one positive thing I'll say about the Eternals, the only positive thing is that she did not shoot on those 
CGI sets. She wanted to shoot every shoot everything in actual locations. And I thought the movie looked beautiful. Like shooting at sunset for real looked great. And also the design work, like when you see they're like casting their spells and you see these weird symbols forming around them and stuff. I thought the design work was really pretty. But boy, that story makes no sense at all. It's a complete mess. I, you know, I don't understand who the villains are. I don't understand how these Eternals didn't decide to intervene during World War II or anything. Like, you yeah. know, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense at all. The creatures, by the way, I, I remember it was a celestial, but that also mm-hmm. yes, didn't make yes. any sense because right. Ego from Guardians 2 yeah. was a celestial. And he didn't right. look anything like right. these things that were coming out of the, exactly. <laughs> the giant thing that was coming out of the earth. Like hatching out of an egg. It just it didn't make much sense. And then they tried to say, you know, tried to explain how they didn't intervene with the whole Thanos snap and all of that. It just it was a mess. Entertaining. Sure. But not really uh, not really cohesive to what's already happened in the MCU. And um, I think they used it, though, too, as a vehicle for um, it's not Moon Knight, obviously, but it's uh, Jon Snow. Yes, (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yes. I forget his name. uh, I forget which character he's going to be in the mcu but but it was sort of a vehicle for that uh, and that's that, my concern and they all introduced blade there momentarily too right and that's that right sequence. that's right the eternals is maybe the pinpoint of my biggest concern with marvel right now is exactly what you're describing at the end of the eternals i actually was thinking like i want to see some of those characters in other movies so it'll be fun to bring them back in other ways and i, I kind of like this concept of these eternals because we've already had this kind of you know now we have magic and we have yeah. aliens and we have these more grounded superheroes like um, iron man so you have these more these different worlds colliding basically and i like that they're now entering adding this other thing but i really felt sloppy like a really missed opportunity to they want to introduce a huge number of characters in one single movie almost like a whole new Avengers set of characters. And it almost felt like they're just doing this. It really felt like what DC did at the beginning of their franchise, where they're introducing these characters so they can use them later, but they really don't care about this movie. And yeah. that movie itself was kind of a mess, you know? So that's that's the problem. No, that's actually, that's a really good point. It, it really, you know, I don't even remember any of the characters' names, to be honest I don't remember with anything. you. I don't remember anything about yeah. that movie. <laughs> I just remember Angel, Angelina Jolie was pissed off, and yeah. then they had to, like, calm her down or else she was Yeah, she always gets everybody. bad. Exactly. She could, like, kill yeah. everybody if she... <laughs> You know, and it's like, it's funny because it's like, oh, yeah, the Eternals, that's that's the Angelina Jolie and then Jon Snow's at the end of it. But otherwise, right. I really, I don't even remember any of the characters' names, which is definitely right. not a good, not a good sign, considering that I'm very much into the MCU. Um, so that was, that was definitely the weakest of, of uh, all the entries since, yep. uh, you know, post totally Endgame. Yeah. Yep. Um, How about Hawkeye? Did you catch up on that? Oh, yeah, that was great. I, I, I enjoyed Hawkeye. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was well done interesting at the end i guess that you know his wife she was she was in shield i guess and mm-hmm. uh i thought it was well done i mean jeremy renner's really really great actor and uh you got to see a little bit more of his character it's interesting that they brought kingpin in at the end yeah. uh yeah. you kind of knew it was coming because the, the the hints were there from the beginning of the series but um i guess it's a different kingpin though than the one that was on the netflix shows uh in, in daredevil originally because this one seemed like almost like a super villain like you couldn't get hurt you know he got hit by a car at the end it's the same actor though it's vincent d'onofrio yeah Yeah, same actor maybe the character yeah maybe yeah i think powers yeah yeah i think it's a different i'm guessing it's a different universe i don't know if it's going to be the same i don't know if it's going to be the same universe as the as the netflix universe uh likewise with daredevil being in spider-man yeah yes matt murdoch and it's the same actor but again i don't know if it's the same daredevil as the one that was in the netflix series because again, you've got this different 
kingpin, or at least I think it's a different kingpin, but who knows? I mean, they might eventually just say that the Netflix series was, you know, is part of the same MCU. I think that now that they've merged those shows on Disney Plus, by the way, they just launched it. Oh, they did. Yeah, they just this week. It's funny too because they just released parental controls on Disney Plus this week. They have multiple profiles. At the same time, they launched these shows for that very reason because some of these shows are like R-rated, and Disney in general is, um, you know, uh, it's all PG or or G-rated. So they've been all family friendly up until now. But uh, but definitely, I think they were waiting to release the those Netflix titles until um, until they had the parental controls in place. But to your point of whether this is the same universe or not. I think that they reference the attack on New York City in the Netflix shows, right? So theoretically, it would be the same. But I guess that could have happened in multiple, you know, shared universes also. Yeah, no, but the fact I didn't realize it was on Disney Plus. So then, yeah, you might be right. It might actually be then, you know, maybe it will be encapsulated into the MCU, which is good. The only thing is, is that it did seem like Kingpin was like superhuman yeah. at, you know, at the <laughs> yes. end of Hawkeye when he, you know, basically got absolutely demolished by a car and then just stands up and. <laughs> but uh i feel but everybody's no, like that though hawkeye was you know in this specifically in this show it's about how hawkeye's just the guy right he's like gone yeah. deaf from the explosions and they really tried to human and i agree that they really did a good job of humanizing him here i also like the fact that this is something that i think everybody needs to do a little bit more of the stakes are so low in that show which is fine we don't have to destroy the world in every single show <laughs> no. so this is this is good to have something more low stakes and I did enjoy that. It's also kind of a throwback to those 80s movies like uh, Lethal Weapon. And they're definitely winking at those type of uh, yep. movies from, from that time period, or maybe even more so like um, uh, Die Hard or something like that. But I, so I liked all that. But to, to that point, I feel like even he is a little superhuman by the end of this. Like, you know, he's like jumping off of buildings and stuff. And, you know, he, he falls into a tree, so he survives. But I'm still like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, you know, this is all a little much for supposedly a regular person, right? No, no, that, that's definitely true. I, I like that. Uh, yeah, Black Widow also, but I did like that they brought uh, uh, Black Widow's sisters, Yelena, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh, great character. Yeah. Love that yeah. character. Yeah. Um, I, you know, obviously, I've, I've watched Black Widow since. I, I think I liked it a lot more than other people did. Um, yeah. uh, I liked Black Widow actually quite a bit. The uh, I like the sister's character a lot. Yeah. You know, she'll, she'll be taking the mantle now, uh, yep. so to speak. Uh, she was great in Hawkeye. The funny thing is, is I liked Black Widow, but then after watching Hawkeye, I like Black Widow more now because of uh, the Yelena. Introducing that character, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and it's sort of like what we talked about last time, you know, where a movie might have been, you know, might have been a little lukewarm on an MCU movie. And then as the MCU progressed through that um, Infinity War saga, they would have throwbacks or, or connections to the prior movies that we had seen. And, and it make me, it made me enjoy those prior movies a little bit more like Thor two, Thor two. Right. When I first saw it, I was like, eh, you know, yeah. it's yeah. all right, nothing great. But then there was so much uh, related to Thor two in infinity war and Endgame. You kind of, you kind of appreciated the movie more based on what they did with the characters and what they did with the premise of those movies later on. And it was sort of the same thing with Black Widow now, you know, after watching Hawkeye, I definitely like Black Widow and appreciated that movie a little bit more and, uh, and the characters and her backstory. In my opinion, Loki and uh, Spider-Man No Way Home are probably the two best entries since, uh, since Endgame. Have you seen, did you see Shang-Chi? Uh, I did see Shang-Chi. I, I enjoyed it, but it got a for me, it got a little bit too magical mystical you know it was a little bit out there i I mean i really did enjoy it though it was it was a a great movie and a bunch of great actors in it and 
you know, tied it up at the end in the, in the uh, post credit scene as well, yeah. you know, bringing them into the Avengers at the end. And, and also uh, to that point, tie back to Iron Man three, you know, with, with. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I think know, they redeemed that, that character. In such exactly. A huge way, right. That's exactly. a, an example of what you were saying, where they take something that kind of people hated the way that they took that, the Mandalorian and not Mandalorian. I mean, the Mandarin, Mandarin in yeah. uh, Mandalorian thinking of uh, Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> but the Mandarin in uh, an Iron Man three. And now they've reclaimed him that first of all, this is the real Mandarin, right? We meet Tony yeah. Long, who's like an incredible actor. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite actors, by the way. And then, of course, you take the original imposter and you make him one of the most entertaining parts of the of the of the movie as well. Exactly, exactly. And they even had uh, that the abomination uh, cameo was. I was like, wait, I actually had to. I I saw Shang Chi actually the first time I saw it was on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. So when when uh, Wong's fighting him. I had to rewind and I'm like, is that really, the, is that the abomination? Like what's going on here? And uh, so that was interesting that uh, he's still alive and it looks like they've reformed his character. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive because the Hulk is hands down the worst. I would still put the Hulk at the bottom below Eternals. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, they redeem that. They, they may be in the process of redeeming that character because I guess the rumor is that they're going to tie the abomination somehow into this next phase, my guess is he, he might show up in the next Doctor Strange movie, especially if he's working with Wong. And with Wong, yeah, exactly. But no, I, I very much enjoyed the movie. Um, my only, my only, you know, sort of issue with it, if you could say, it's just, you know, it was a little too on the mystical side for me because again, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like, I, I enjoyed the, the Iron Man movies and, and the Captain America movie and the movies in that, you know, they're, they're a little bit more grounded. And I understand, you know, I understand it's all make believe they're all heroes. They're all superheroes. This doesn't really happen in real life, of course, but characters in the movies were a little bit more grounded in terms yes. of um, what their abilities were and the things that were happening around them. And now, now you've got, you know, flying dragons and Mm -hmm. you know all this sort of stuff and it's like okay interesting let's see where this ends up when you compare the original iron man to some of these movies now it's like wow there's no ceiling anymore like anything goes at this point and add on to it the fact that you've got a multiverse you might be seeing these characters come back but played by different actors it's really really out there now if uh robert Downey jr wants to come back as Mm -hmm. iron man for example you literally can have a multiverse where someone has to go into an alternate universe where Iron Man's not dead, right? Where uh, Tony Stark never was Iron Man, let's say, and they pluck him out and they bring him in to, uh, you know, to save the world again. And then, you know, at the end, he just goes back into his universe and waves goodbye and everybody in the theater is crying. And that's a possibility now. This is that everything is on the table now. So it's on the one hand, it's pretty amazing the opportunities they have, but then they obviously can't be doing that kind of thing in every single movie because then it has no magic. Like what happened in Spider-Man was so incredible, right? To imagine, say, like, you know, find Peter Parker. And then we all knew it was coming, but it was still incredible when you see like Tobey Maguire show up. Oh, speaking of, let's go back to Spider-Man just for a minute. Because I got to say, my favorite thing about Spider-Man is I hated those Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I hated yep. them, right? And man, the MVP of that movie is Andrew Garfield. I'm like, man, he's great in that movie. Like, I like, I love this Spider-Man. He like has completely redeemed those films once again, redeeming those films by just do, being incredible in this movie. Right. hundred percent agree. I was not an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man fan at all. I hated those two movies. I yep. absolutely couldn't stand them. And uh, he was he was probably the best part of the Spider-Man yes, movie. I completely agree. He was incredible in it. And um, 
it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> uh, no, he was, it, it was great. And especially when he catches MJ, you know, it's kind of like, yep. wow, you know, that was the, the theater I was in. Everybody just, you know, went crazy. I'm yep. sure same with you. And yep. uh, guess I read, I don't know how true this is, but there's a possibility that there, you know, he may get his, he may get his third movie yeah. based upon the reaction and, yeah. and uh, everybody loved know. him. Yeah. I have one more property we haven't talked about. Did you watch the what if series at all? I did. What'd you think uh, of that? I, I, I loved it. And I guess they're going to, some elements of that are going to be in the Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. And there's going to be a, uh, um, and there's going to be another season of what if, but what's funny is who, who, the, the what if series, the reason I was so curious to talk to you about it is that that for me was like a metaphor for this entire project of Marvel where I'm watching it and I have this kind of goodwill for these characters and I'm watching it and I'm watching it. These are all okay, but I hadn't loved any of them. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this show all the way through. And I kind of bailed. I bailed on it for a couple of weeks. And when I caught up on it, I saw that the first Doctor Strange episode. And I was like, wow, this is a good episode. I'm like, this could be a Doctor Strange movie. Like you could take that story, make that the middle of the movie and then have like a big battle at the end and have some preamble to it and turn that into a two hour story. This is good. This could be a whole Doctor Strange movie. And then... They go back and they're kind of making more of these stories. Most of them I'm not that interested in, but of course they come with that last episode and they tie it all together. And like I said, it's like it becomes like a metaphor for uh, for the for the franchise in general, where it's kind of like uh, I'm not I'm not on board for all of these, but then when they get it all together, you're like, oh, I see what you were doing that whole time. So I kind of give them credit for being able to pull that off. A few of those episodes were sort of the same, had the same reaction. You know, it was like, oh, all right. You know, but then right. at the end, when, when it, when it all comes together, it's like, oh man, this is awesome. Like the last <laughs> right. two episodes right. were really good, especially with the, uh, the whole Ultron thing. And mm -hmm. then Ultron gets all this power and then the very last episode tie, ties it all together. And then it really makes you appreciate the entire series. Exactly. And, uh, and, and that the watcher know, so has to get dra dragged into this thing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it, no, it was, it was, it was well done. I thought it was well done. And I'm not a, I'm not a big cartoon guy. You know, I, um, I'm a Star Wars person also, but I'm not, you know, I, I've never watched, um, Visions, uh, Clone oh, Wars. Clone Wars right? Yeah. You know, I never, I never watched it. And uh, I know that, you know, it's, it's considered canon, uh, especially with, with everything that's going on now in, in the Mandalorian and, and the Boba Fett series. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I just, I just, if I don't understand it or if I don't know what's going on, I just look it up. So I'm like, all right, I'm not <laughs> right, going to sit right. through uh, two seasons of watching, you know, Clone Wars, but so I'm not a big cartoon guy, but I enjoyed what, what if, and, uh, you know, definitely check out the, the next series when, when it comes out. Yeah. Although I, I will say I'm a cartoon guy when it comes to Rick and Morty that <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There I don't go. consider that a cartoon. 